so today, we're starting the beginning of our Advent series. Uh, we're, we're calling this series Light into Darkness. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Advent is the beginning of the Christian year. It's the beginning of the church calendar. Uh, it's a season where we remember that Christ came into the world, that his light shone in the darkness. But it's also a season where we look forward to his return. His light will shine brighter still. And so this Advent, we're going to look at these themes of light and darkness in the Gospel of John. And there's a tension in Advent, and it's meant to be felt. Advent isn't always supposed to be a comfortable season. In our culture, Christmas has actually collapsed into Advent. Uh, but Advent is supposed to build tension and uh, build it and build it until the release of joy at Christmas. And so what is this tension we're supposed to be feeling during Advent? The other day, An- Ansley was in her room and she asked me, Daddy, it's dark outside. Where did the sun go? I said, I went to sleep. And I know that's a profound answer. But similarly, you know, we can look outside. We can see the darkness of the world, the brokenness of the world. And we can ask, where did the light go? When will, it re- when will it return? And this is the tension that we feel during Advent. It's the tension of living in a dark and broken world. And a world that aches and longs and even groans for Christ's return. And it makes us ask, how long, O Lord? When will your light shine brighter? So Advent, it's a season of tension, but it's also a season of anticipation. The light will indeed shine brighter still. Darkness will not be the end. You know, it might rise up. It might be all that we can see at times. uh, But it has not and will not overcome the light. And it's for that everlasting, enduring, beautiful light that we wait and endure and trust. So the big idea that we're going to explore this morning as we kick off this new series is this. The light has shone. And it will shine brighter still. The light has shone, and it will shine brighter still. So open your Bibles with me uh, to the Gospel of John. We're going to begin in chapter 1, reading verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John, he starts his gospel by going to the very beginning to define who Jesus is. But John doesn't just go to the beginning of time. He goes to eternity. When John speaks of the beginning in these verses, he means before time. Or as St. Augustine puts it, This is the beginning which has no beginning. So with eternity in mind, John writes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And there is only one way to interpret this. Jesus is the Word. He always has been and always will be. He is uncreated. He has always been with God because he is God. And as John says, the Word was God. Jesus is the the Son of God. There's the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Three persons, but one. Dwelling in eternity eternity together with reciprocating, unending, joyful, and abundant love for one another. And so John, he starts out by speaking about eternity, but then he moves into time. He starts talking about creation. 
He says in verse 3, All things were made through Jesus, and without him not anything that was made was made. And then he writes in verse 4, In him was life. In him was life. John, he's bringing us further into who Jesus is. You know, Jesus, he's God. He's created all that there is, and in him is life. This isn't just any sort of life. This is a certain type of life, a quality of life, eternal life. It has no end and no beginning. It's abundant. In the Gospel of John, it's refreshing. It's like a stream of water that quenches all of our thirst. This is the sort of life in Jesus. But Jesus is also the author of life, the source of life itself. As John goes on to say in verse 4, in him was life and the life was the light of men. Light is almost always a metaphor in the Gospel of John, and it's the first appearance here in the Gospel. Life and light, you see, are very connected in John's Gospel. And so when John talks about the light of humanity, he has the light of life in mind, the life that everybody shares in mind, life given to every single person on the earth, the gift of life given to everyone, irregardless of creed, nation, or religion. And this Life, though, is an expression of who Jesus is as the creator of life. You know, think about when a toddler, you know, can play, you know, with Lego or has time to paint or do pottery if you have, like, a high-class toddler. And, uh, you know, they pour themselves into it until something else grabs their attention. But before they give up on it, before they throw it away and, and, and go to something else, uh, they, they always do one thing, don't they? You know, they proudly take what they've made and bring it to whoever's watching them, you know, their parents or the babysitter. And they, they present it with joy, and, and there's this universal reaction within the parents. Their hearts melt, yes, but the, there's a follow-up question. What is it? <laughs> you know? And whatever the thing is that they created, it's always an expression of where they are in their development. You know? Whatever shape uh, and meaning they infuse into it is just a little picture of who they are. This is a, a painting that Ansley made. And uh, what do you see? Circles. Sure you do, but that's not what this is. This is a portrait of our family. Uh, that peachish circle, that's Julia. And uh, that black blob in the middle there, that's me, apparently. That's Daddy. Uh, the green circle at the bottom, that's Maggie. And then the top one, Ansley told me, at the top, that looks kind of like a star with a head, that's Ansley. This is a family portrait. She poured herself into it and presented it and said, look, and she pointed out all the characters to me. I said, that's great. Uh, she put herself fully into it, and it's an expression of who she is, right? what, what she values at this time. Belonging, family, circles. Uh, and the picture, it, it doesn't make sense if you don't know Ansley and you don't know what matters to her. And the sad part is that Ansley's work of art, it'll get hung on the fridge and then recycled. You know, that's it. It's done. Now, when Jesus created, it's an expression of who he is, and he gives life. Life, existing, consciousness, all of this is a gift from Jesus, and it's an expression of who he is. But Jesus didn't create and hang it on one of the walls of eternity and then stand back from a distance. Creation hasn't been accruing dust in God's closet. He infused creation with himself. He gave it life from his life. And so when John talks about Jesus being the light of humanity. It's a lot like Genesis describing us as being created in the image of God. It's a way of uh, expressing our deep 
relational dependence upon God. Our very being, us being created, is a picture and expression of who God is. We can't understand who we are except in relation to God. We can't make sense of life or find significant meaning of life outside of understanding the source of life. And what John is saying is that our source of life is derived from a source. He's saying that life is derived from a source. And that source is Jesus. And we don't have life in and of ourselves. It's given to us. And it comes from the heart of God, who is life itself. And the light of humanity, then, is a reflection of God. It's expressed, you know, in our ability to reason and love and understand and how we can cry because of joy or sing because of beauty and laugh because of delight. But what's important to take notice of is John is using the imperfect tense in these first few verses. He's speaking of the past. John has spoken of eternity. He's spoken of creation. And he's, now, he's been speaking of the past in humanity. But then he shifts to speaking about the present in verse 5. Look at verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Suddenly... Darkness appears. And it's not just passive darkness. It's not just the absence of light. It's an aggressive darkness that wants to overcome the light. Which means it's not that the light gave up on the world. It's that the world didn't want the light. How did we get here? You know, John goes from talking about eternity and creation and now darkness. Well, John goes there because he lives in the biblical framework and narrative God created a good and beautiful world. He endowed humanity with life and love and reason and creativity. Yet, humanity turned in on itself and wanted life without God. Life without the creator. Life without the source of life. Way back in the beginning, once the world had been created, once life had been given as a generous and beautiful gift, Adam and Eve rejected God. and They chose not to trust him. And sin entered the world and fragmented everything. It distorted their self-identity. They felt shame for the first time. It fractured how they relate to one another. They assigned blame. It uh, changed how they relate to God. They hid. It changed their experience of the world. It went from peace to thorns. And see, sin doesn't just affect us. It affects the entire cosmos. It affects every relationship, and especially our relationship with God. And this is the narrative that John lives in. We call this the fall. John calls this darkness. And you might struggle with what John has said about eternity or about creation or even the narrative he lives by, but it's likely you agree with him about darkness. It's not that we can just physically see the dark. It's the metaphor of darkness that we can empirically see. The world, it can be incredibly dark at times. We see this. You know, whether it's the 27 terrorist attacks that have happened in November alone, 27, or the fear which builds in response, causing some uh, to reject the resettlement of refugees in their countries. Whether it's the horrific war crimes or the failure of nations to fairly distribute resources and food, whether it's the dehumanizing effects of the pornography industry or the sexual abuse that is pervasive in every single culture, darkness is tangible. It can be seen, it can be felt, it can be experienced, and it makes our hearts sink. And we can see it around the world. We can see it even in our own neighborhoods. 
whether it's people who have to sleep in the, on the streets in the cold without adequate warmth because there aren't enough shelters or beds or enough people who, who care enough to even take the time, or the devastating effects of suicide that can ravage a community. Our extended community in the last month alone has experienced three suicides that have impacted direct members of our community. This is darkness. We feel it, and it hurts, and it's broken, and it's weighty. And you might look out at the world and just say, this is how the world is. This is how it works. Theologians call it the fall. John calls it darkness. But when he talks about the darkness out there, that's not all he has in mind. He's also talking about the darkness in here, the darkness in our own hearts. You know, whether it's resenting people, people that we love over the most trivial thing, or how we're prone to excluding people simply because we don't like them. Whether it's the pleasure we get in gossiping or our own self-absorption. Whether it's our cynicism, which causes us to be calloused towards those who are suffering. Or, or how we judge people by assuming that we know their story and hence know better. Whether it's our own indulgence in pornography or our own contributions to an unhealthy relationship. We know these parts of ourselves too well. We know them intimately, and we know they don't just affect us, but those around us. You might look at this and say, well, that's just how humans are, man. Well, theologians call it sin, and John, he calls it darkness. But then there's the darkness of the human heart, which wants life without God. The part of us, every single one of us, whether you're a Christian or not, that tries to deny the existence of God, the part of us that wants to live solely for ourselves, the part of us that can go hours and days and months and years without even a passing thought about God, the part of us that just doesn't care enough at times to pursue God because there are things that more immediately gratify our desires. When John says darkness, he means the darkness out there. He means the darkness in here, and they're interconnected because they share one objective, Creating a world without God. Overcoming the light. Quenching the light. We can be very dark. The world can be very dark. Yet John says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. We can turn off the lights. In fact, we'll do that. We'll, we'll turn off the lights. Oh, Catherine's running. And then, Shane, can you close that door? Now, grab your glow stick. You each got a glow stick. Fun, I know. Um, lots of different colors uh, because each of you are a special snowflake. <laughs> I, yeah, I went there, I know. Now, all right, so get your glow sticks, crack them. All right, so it's gotten significantly darker in here, right? Darker than it was. But there's still some light, right? We, we, can, we can still see light. Whether it's, you know, the screen is projecting a lot of light or the candles or the, the light coming off from my iPad or the glow sticks, we still see a lot of light. Now, we're going to dim the screen, right? We're going to now try to cover up your glow sticks as much as you can. You know, we can still see some light. You know, it's... it's it, 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 it comes out of the cracks of our hands. You know, it's still on the screen. No matter how hard we try, we are not going to be able to eliminate all the dark in this room at this moment. 
We can try to smother the light. We can try to make it really dark, but the light, it will still shine through the cracks no matter how hard we try. Because John says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Now you get five seconds to play with these and then we're going to continue the sermon. We can... It's fun, right? <laughs> no matter how dark it gets, no matter how dark it gets, no matter how dark it gets, God hasn't given up on us. No matter how much the darkness may try to quench the light or how much it might kick against the light, God hasn't given up on us. God is still at work in the world and light can still be seen or at the very least sensed. And we can look out at the world and we can still see light amidst the darkness, whether it's humanitarian efforts like building schools in war zones or engineers volunteering to create sustainable forms of agriculture in impoverished areas, or whether it's refugees being welcomed into new cities and communities and families, or shelter and meals and warmth being provided to those in need of such things. Whether it's as simple as good music, you know, beautiful art, or breathtaking sunrises, or you know, as simple as just being covered by puppies, you know. <laughs> we can still be overcome by good. We can still celebrate the light, even in a dark world. There's still puppies. <laughs> we can even look within ourselves and see light amidst our own darkness. You know, whether it's empathy or compassion that wells up within us at the pain or grief of others, or the tears that we share. You know, whether it's laughing until our sides hurt, or sitting and perfectly comfortable silence with someone you love. Whether it's joy and love and kindness, we can still be overwhelmed by the goodness in us. We celebrate this light. That's because the light has shone into the darkness and the darkness hasn't overcome it. But if we're honest, there's two problems with everything I've said. Two problems with this idea of light shining in the darkness. The first problem is that in the dark, we don't see all that well. In the dark, we don't see all that well. The glimmers of light that we do see, we end up attributing to the wrong thing. We say, the light is shining from within me. You know, it's my glow stick. It's my light. But your glow stick will die. If you didn't realize that, I hate to break it to you. This will not last forever. It's not the source. It's derived light. You see, we see glimmers of light in the world or glimmers of light in ourselves. We say, humanity has hope. We're not so bad. Look at all the good. But this treats the light or the goodness we see as if the source is within ourselves. But our light is derived. The light shines in the darkness of the world or the darkness of our lives. This light is not our own light. The glimmers of light that we do see, it is not our own. The light shines into the world. The light, not our light, not the world's light, the light, God's light. God in his grace and mercy has restrained darkness. God has extended common grace. He does not leave us in utter darkness and evil. The second problem is that we could make it dark enough so that we can't see altogether. 
Eventually, all our glow sticks would die. Someone could take them all away. We could shut off the power to this room, perfectly seal it, and sit in pitch black, perfect darkness. The darkness at times can get so bad that all we see is darkness. Grief can do this to us. Depression can do this to us. Suffering can do this to us. Things get so bad that we can't even see the light. And uh, when we live, as if we're producing this light ourselves, it's, it's possible then to feel like we're in utter darkness because our own light is not sustainable. It will burn out. It will die. Or things happen, life happens, and the darkness quickly overcomes us. And our own light cannot overcome the darkness because it's only the light that came into the world that overcomes the darkness. These are the two problems. These are the two problems. We wrongly attribute the light to ourselves and when we do, we can end up in utter darkness. If it can get so dark that we can't even see our own hands in front of our faces, what hope then do we have of seeing the light? And if, it's, if we can get a glimpse of light, but think the source is from ourselves, what hope do we actually have of tracing it to its origins? St. John says, here's how you do it. Witness. There are witnesses of the light. Look at verses 6 through 9. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He's talking about John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Here's a man sent from God, a prophet, you know, John the Baptist. And Luke's gospel captures the miraculous nature of his, his birth. You know, his dad had an encounter with an angel. His mom went from being barren to being able to conceive, and he's born. And then he goes out into the wilderness, and he's a prophet, and he's respected, and he's a spiritual leader, and he preaches, and he baptizes. And here's the thing. With his spiritual resume, he could easily point to himself and say, follow me, look at my impressive uh, nature and resume and my camel's hair and the locusts I eat. Like, I am a me, you know? But this isn't what he does. He points away from himself and he points to the source. Later in the gospel, John is even asked, are you the one we're waiting for? Are you the Messiah? It's not me. It's not me. I'm not the light. I am just a witness to the light. See, what we're being told in the Gospel of John is that the light has come into the world. The light still shines, and God has given witnesses to the light. There are witnesses to the light which can help us see in the dark, which can help us see the source from which the light shines. And the first witness is the, the Scriptures, the very book we're studying right now. This is a witness to the light. This is handed down, trustworthy, eyewitness testimonies about Christ, the light that came into the world. What's remarkable is out of all of the ancient documents we have in the world, there are more manuscripts and fragments of manuscripts that attest to the New Testament's trustworthiness than any other document we have on earth. And if this interests you, I can, I can send you to some resources where you can dig deeper into this. But we have a reliable witness in the Gospels and the letters and the whole Scriptures of the light coming into the world. And so we can look to the Scriptures and learn about the light. 
But the second witness is the Spirit. The light has come, but the light still shines. Well, how? Christ isn't physically on earth anymore. How does he shine? He's not left us without a witness. He sent his Spirit. How do we see his Spirit? It's invisible. This, this is true, but it's still identifiable. Through his third witness, which is the church. And I don't mean the building. I mean the people who have experienced the light, have accepted the light, and have followed the light. I mean the people who put their faith and trust in Jesus so that they can point away from themselves and let his light shine through them. Nicky Gumbel, he's a pastor of a big Anglican church in the UK and one of the founders of Alpha. And he says, you can't see the wind, but you can see its effect. When the wind blows, you can't see the wind itself, but you can see it blowing leaves. You can't see the wind itself, but you can feel it. The Spirit gives witness through the Scripture, making words come alive to us, and through the church, transforming lives and leading us in acts of service. You know, I've been developing some friendships in Alpha, and, and particularly with Jeff and Jessica and a few others, and I asked them in our last session, you know, what difference does faith actually make on the street? And they unanimously said, none. You know, if, it might give you a better outlook. They conceded to that, but it doesn't do much more than that. And then Jeff, uh, or, or Jessica, I can't remember, said to me, um, what makes a difference is you, feeding us, getting us socks, Thanks, Jessica. Sleeping bags, helping us stay warm. And so I said, the problem is that you're giving me credit where credit isn't due. If I wasn't a Christian, I wouldn't have stopped to give you the time of day or to help you because I'm too self-absorbed. And to which Jeff said, that's morally reprehensible. <laughs> and I said, yes, it is. And he said, well, good, at least we're on the same page. And I said, at least, because you see, without Jesus, I am morally reprehensible. What I'm doing for them, what I do for others, what I do for you, even preaching, is a sign of the Spirit blowing and working and moving. When people point to themselves, when they make a big deal about the good they do, their strong traits, don't you actually find it harder to trust them? They say, oh, you know what, this is my light. Look at all of my accomplishments. And this isn't relegated just to the business sector. It happens in the nonprofit sector, too. It happens in churches. And that's because it's written all over the human heart. This sort of testimony, though, it helps no one. It doesn't point us to the light. The testimony that helps us find the light is the testimony of John and others. I'm not the light. Don't look to me. Look to him. It's the testimony that points away from itself into the actual source of light. And it points to Jesus, the true light. This is why verses 9 and 10 are so important. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. The gospel calls Jesus the true light. Because it's not derived light, but the source. You know, our own sense of goodness, it's derived. John's light, it's derived. Even angelic beings, their light is derived. But Jesus shines from himself, through himself, and brightly into the world. Jesus, the true light, gives light to everyone. Everyone. Look at that. Everyone. John writes, the true light, which gives light to everyone which means you cannot take credit for any goodness or light within yourself because it's common grace of Christ shining into the world. 
It's the grace God extends to everyone, but it's not saving grace. In the light, it came into the world for salvation that we might experience saving grace. The source of the light came into the world and the world he made, yet the world did not know him, John writes. The world did not know him because of darkness. This light came. Jesus came into the world. And that's what we remember during Advent. The light still shines. The light still shines through Scripture, through the Spirit, through the witness of the Spirit in people. But here's our great hope during Advent. The light has come and the darkness has not overcome it. The light still shines and the darkness cannot overcome it. And the light will shine brighter still. And so during this Advent season, anticipation is meant to build and develop and grow. And as we reflect on the light that came into the world, we're supposed to cry out more. We want more of that goodness. We want more of that love. We want more of that joy. We want more of the hope. But the desire for the light comes as we sit in the darkness. Light may seem absent, but it's not. Basic science teaches us that there's light that our eyes can perceive, and there's light that our eyes cannot perceive. And Advent gives this scientific truth a spiritual anchor. Jesus is the light. He has shone in the world. But that doesn't mean we see all of the light yet. There's still light that we can't perceive. And there's two comforts to this. First, the darkest, in the darkest of darkest situations, perhaps we just can't see how the light is working in its beautiful and invisible ways. And second, there is still more to come. When the currents are pulled back again, when Jesus takes center stage again, when he returns, it will only be the beginning of a beautiful and new story. We will perceive more light, a fuller light, because Jesus will be the true light that gives life to the world, removing all darkness. Darkness will flee. It will be eradicated. And one glorious day, there will be no absence of light. Darkness will have ceased to exist and there will be no need for lesser sources of light. And St. John, he, he writes at the end of Revelation, when all is said and done, when Jesus returns and establishes a new heaven and a new earth, Revelation 22.8, there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of a sun for the Lord will give them light. The light will shine brighter still. But Advent is living in the tension of waiting for that reality. And so over this series, we're going to explore this tension. We're going to talk next week about how we love the darkness more than light. Then we're going to talk about how to walk in the light instead of darkness. And lastly, the urgency of responding to the light while it shines. But there's one last question that I feel we need to ask this morning. What What do we do with the darkness in the meantime? Because it's here. We live in a world of darkness. It's part of our reality. What do we do with it? Ogmandino wrote, I will love the light for it shows me the way. Yet I will endure the darkness for it shows me the stars. We endure the darkness. Because in Christ we know that darkness is not our end. 
When the world gets dark around us, we know that the light will shine brighter still. When our souls get dark within us, we know that the light can still shine brighter because the light has shone in the darkness and it shines in the dark. And there are many, many witnesses to the light that when we can't believe in it ourselves, we can look to their witness. Witnesses that say Jesus has come, he's in and with us through his spirit and he will return, which means... Darkness has become a reference point for the light. Darkness has become a reference point for the light. When things are bleak, when there's grief, suffering, injustice, hurt, pain, they create longing for these things to be set right, for healing to come, for justice and restoration, life. And without Christ, darkness is the end. But the light has come. And so darkness draws greater emphasis to just how good the light is because darkness has been overcome and it cannot and will never win. The light will shine brighter still. That is our great hope in Christ Jesus. So when we draw our last breath, when we close our eyes, when darkness, uh, darkness is not what will welcome us. Rather, it's eternal light, eternal life, eternal love, for everyone who believes in Christ Jesus, the true light. Come, Lord Jesus, come.